This is Meatless, a podcast about eating. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs and writers about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show will ask the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, I'm talking to Nadia Agrawal, founder of the South Asian-centered art and opinion magazine, Cudgel. Her writing on race, politics, and culture has appeared in Quartz, Hazlitt, Teen Vogue, Vice, and other outlets. We talked about what made her go vegan after years of vegetarianism, veganism's connection, or lack thereof, to other social justice movements, and turmeric lattes. So um, can you tell me where you grew up and what you ate then? Yeah. Um, well, so I grew up kind of all over the U.S. because my parents were chasing software engineering jobs in like the early 90s. So I was born in Texas and I was there until I was five in Houston. And then we went all across the country, like Atlanta, Georgia, and then Colorado. And eventually we settled in California. Um, so like from like seven onwards, I was in California. Um and eating was really, it wasn't like a divisive issue in the house because we, I come from like a Hindu Indian background. And so my, my dad was very, very like strongly vegetarian and my mom was very flexible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, she just cooked vegetarian at home. And then when we went out, she very much encouraged my brother and me to like try meat, to eat meat. And then, um, when I was eight years old, I realized that meat was animals and that's when I stopped eating meat. So I decided at eight to be vegetarian um, my brothers continued eating whatever he wanted. The rule, though, is you could not eat beef in front of my mom. So that's the only thing. Because that's like a Hindu thing to like not eat beef. And I'm pretty sure like my brother still eats beef. It's just don't do it in front of her. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it was a lot easier to be vegetarian in that context? Oh, yeah. I mean, like veggie Indian food is amazing. Like it's really, really uh it's like, I guess I should say healthy, but that's arguable in some ways because it's very cream heavy, very like cheese heavy and stuff, or it can be in restaurants. But when you eat at home, it's pretty plain. It's like rice and beans effectively. And that was what I grew up on. And my mom was really, really clever with her use of vegetables. So we made a lot of pizza from scratch. We made a lot of like, uh, like pan Asian dishes because she actually spent some time in Hong Kong growing up. And so we had a very like diverse eating experience at home. So it was never like boring to eat vegetarian. When did you first hear of veganism? Um, when I was about like 20 or so, like I was on Tumblr, like browsing and I had heard about like veganism in like high school, but it didn't really like compute as like a, like a viable course. Cause it was still like so heavily made fun of, and it was still such like an out there concept. And then I, I found myself like beginning to really like, uh, relate to the posts about veganism and like I was actually finally like learning about how like the dairy and the egg industries still feed into the kind of the same like you know animal destruction that I was trying to avoid by like not eating meat like it was still as it was still violent and you know with the, in the case of dairy it still feeds into the meat industry with veal um and I just I couldn't keep like doing that and it kind of so went hand in hand right right when I discovered veganism for real when I actually started like reading more on it um that's when it really like sunk in for me 
Right. And so how has it affected interpersonal relationships after that? Um, well, so I, I mean, pardon the very non-vegan expression, but I went cold turkey on going vegan. Like I like learned about it. I had like a series of panic attacks about my effect <laughs> on the world. And then I just like started to like not eat that food anymore. Like I just like, I used to eat omelets every morning and then I stopped and my family, like my extended family, like freaked out. Like my parents are a little bit confused. Um, they had also like seen me like cut all my hair off recently and like, you know, get pixie cuts and like change things very radically in their minds. Like they were kind of like not really sure what to say, but like my grandmother was convinced I was going to die. Um, a lot of members of my family were very like, you know, they were very like mean spirited with like their, their jokes and they, they might not think that, but it, it felt like a lot being like an individual, um, experiencing all of that by myself and having to kind of stand up for something I was still trying to like learn about. So that was really rough. Um, and I was just like, had to convince everybody that I wasn't going to die, which is also a really hard thing to do. It's like <laughs> kind of like equally like macabre and, and like funny at the same time as you're just like, this is a ridiculous thing. Like I've been vegetarian since I was eight. What makes you think like it's all going to change? It's not a far jump. Um, and then like I was in a relationship at the time and he, he wasn't like unsupportive actually like his family was more supportive in some ways than my family was like they took it on the chin. They were very excited to like try new food and like make stuff when I was there. Um, but like for the most part, people were just really confused and I think scared for me, which yeah. was continued for a couple of years until they realized like I'm still here like I haven't died yet like I'll be okay yeah you mentioned omelets what other foods were like big changes from the vegetarian to vegan yeah like I so I definitely like eggs like I just have never been able to find a good uh egg substitute that like is like yolky and like tastes like fried eggs and stuff like that like it's just it was so tricky because in a lot of ways like eggs were love like yeah. growing up like so full of protein so good um, but then like, also like there's a lot of like Indian food that I wasn't able to like replicate, like a lot of the sweets, I just like, wasn't able to figure out, um, paneer like in, which was like decadent. Like that's what made like a vegetarian Indian dish, like decadent for me was like paneers. I wasn't able to have that anymore. So a lot of things like that, I had to kind of find my way around, which was a little bit heartbreaking. So I should have to like navigate that by myself because I really like the resources were just starting to come out about like veganizing other cuisines. Um, and I just, I was sort of on my own in that regard. Right. Have you, have there been any cookbooks that have been super helpful to you or? Um, not really cookbooks, but like cooking blogs okay, were cool. really good. Like, uh, vegan Risha has been really great. Like, so she cooks vegan Indian food specifically. And she also does like really fun twists on stuff like samosa sandwiches and things like that. Um, and my parents actually like a year later after I transitioned into being vegan, they also went vegan. And so my mom being like, the domestic goddess that she is was able to like whip up like cashew paneer and like make her own uh dahi which is like yogurt from scratch and stuff like that and use it in like indian dishes like kari which were like you know home favorites so like she was able to really get in there and really like make it something whereas i was still like you know throwing back oreos and like <laughs> i hadn't really like figured out how to like make it work for me i was still trying to like just get by, get through college at that point. Right, so. right, right. What convinced your parents to go vegan? Uh, health. And also because like I had been talking their ear off for a year. Not, I mean, I, it took me a while to like stop evangelizing about veganism and realizing that wasn't the most productive course often. But like I was so repulsed by so much of the stuff that I had been learning about how we treated animals. I'd come home and, you know, they'd be the, like this most sympathetic ears for me often was like telling them about like, you know, like all sorts of <laughs> sad stuff. Like, um, 
how like cheese is actually made and like how lobsters are, are fish and things like that. And I think it got to them, but then also they, they just sort of realized like, okay, so we can make this change and it'll help us with our cholesterol. Cause like, um, in Indian Americans are very prone to like heart disease. So like, they thought it was like really going to help them with their blood and stuff like that. And then also like that I would sort of shut up a little bit. I think, <laughs> I think in like, a very sweet way, like they felt like they could support me better. Um, and I would stop telling them such like horrible, gruesome things all the time. Right, right, right. Um, so you mentioned um, to me that the concept of ahimsa was important to you for explaining veganism. Um, I wanted to ask how how that was helpful. Yeah, so I, this is kind of like an ass backwards thing because like I so I grew up in a Hindu like a Hindu family in the sense that it was like culturally Hindu and we did a lot of Hindu things, but we weren't necessarily like deep in scripture, practicing going to mandir every week Hindus. But um, I, I learned about the concept of ahimsa, like fully articulated on these sort of vegan forums, like on vegan Tumblr and stuff like that, where people were just like talking about it as like a reasoning or like as a mantra or like as something that I should say mantra or <laughs> like, you know, just like as like a sort of catch-all term for their feelings. So ahimsa is, um, it's a Hindu, Jain and Buddhist principle uh, that means like do no harm. And um, it really, really helped just, crystallize everything for me because I was like oh like that seems like a very easy purpose in this life is just to like do no harm minimize your harm like you know there's so much bad out in the world why not try to like be one source of good and it was really helpful because not only did it like connect me better to like my own you know family's culture and traditions but it also was like a very easy way to explain to um South Asians and and people of you know of my family that this was like real like not that it was just like some you know new age hipster white concept but that actually it had been sort of practiced in some regards for like thousands of years before us and like it it also really works with like I mean vegetarianism in Hinduism has a lot to do with casteism and like that's like a very complicated subject to get into because it has there's like it's very very political but ahimsa kind of like in some ways elevates it and it makes it more divine. And I don't know, that kind of just really fit in with me. And it kind of reaffirmed my faith and when it had been like waxing. And um, yeah, it just it just worked for some reason. I remember like talking to my grandmother and mentioning Ahimsa and she's just like nodding like, okay, now I get it. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do it, but right. I understand what you're talking about now. Yeah. So veganism does have a really white reputation. Like have how is that kind of either complicated or like... I don't know. How does, how has that been part of your veganism? Uh, yeah. I mean, so it's funny because I'm actually like an international development student. Like I got my graduate degree in that. And, um, you learn pretty quickly that like 98 or like a huge percentage of the world lives under $2 a day. Most of them live under like a dollar a day, which means that they're not eating meat and milk and all of these like fancy things that come from animals, but they're actually eating like rice and beans typically. So like, most of the world is sort of, it, they're vegan, whether they think about it that way or not, like they are already living this kind of like more minimalist lifestyle. Um, and they're doing what they can afford and it's nutritious. And to a certain extent, like malnutrition is obviously a big deal still, but it, it does allow them to have a more balanced diet. Um, and it's feasible. So like, it's very weird and most of the world isn't white. Right. So yeah. like, it's very strange to think about veganism, which has been around in many forms for, for ages, being a, a, a white vegan thing. And I think it's because as white people tend to do is they monopolize the conversation and like, it becomes this thing about privilege. It becomes about whole foods. It becomes about like, you know, handpicked artisanal 
organic, whatever, when really for me for a long time, it's been rice and beans, which is like something you can, you can get Goya rice and beans for like less than a dollar, $2 at the grocery store. So it's very frustrating in a lot of ways, but then I also do come from privilege myself. So it's, it would be, I think, unfair for me to like blame it all on white people. But I do try in some ways to like bridge the gaps and try to like, you know, platform more vegans of color when I can. And also to like raise my own voice because I know that people of color often dismiss veganism as a white person thing as well. It's like a reactionary effect because it's very easy to be like, or because it, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense when white people are telling you what to do and how to live your life to be like, uh-uh, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. And to almost spite them for it. And I, I can understand that reaction. It's just, it's sad because it's like, this is culturally important for me. This connects back to a lot of things for me that have nothing to do with white people and are actually like things I need to connect back to, to fight, you know, the scourge of like, of, uh, of, you know, white supremacy. So like, it's, I don't know. I'm not really, I haven't really been able to articulate this as effectively as I'd like to people. Like, I know there are a lot of people who still see it as like a white person thing, but I do like how there's a differentiation arising now between white vegans and vegans of color. And that's, people are starting to like realize that more when they talk about it. Right. Right. And so your veganism, it, or it was born of kind of an animal rights perspective mm-hmm. um do you do you see it now as having more of an ecological bent to it or a more political bent you mentioned like how it can be part of your battle against white supremacy yeah well so I, it definitely started off as an animal rights thing um and then it grew into you know a concern for human rights and environmental rights like i said i studied international development like you one of the things that you learn is how much like ancestral land is being um, snapped up by major corporations in order to like, you know, farm animals and how that's really, it's really, uh, if you are a student of international development, it's really incompatible with your beliefs to also be supporting those corporations by purchasing meat products or animal products. Like, why would I be advocating on behalf of like indigenous populations if I'm also being like, yeah, for sure. Like, bulldoze the Amazon rainforest in order to like raise cows like that makes no sense Mm -hmm. so in a lot of ways those connect together and also I'm from California and there's a very strong connection between like you know the the migrant labor movement and like the way that slaughterhouse workers are treated like I used to take PCH to get to uh, LA from from the Bay Area and you go through like slaughterhouse territory you go through like you know cattle farming and like it stings it's just disgusting and I think that's when you kind of realize the magnormity of like what this industry is. It's just like, it's just horrendous. You can't even drive without smelling blood and feces and, and just like, you know, cows. And it's, I don't know, it's like horrible. So like, I think when you realize those things, it's really easy to connect together and it does have an ecological tilt now. I mean, it's really, I don't, I can't see it as just like a small picture thing. It's, it very much affects everything. And it it very much plays into my politics. Like, I think that it's very important that, you know, we're mindful of how we affect this world while we're here. I think it's extremely selfish to live excessively, to like, you know, to to purchase products that are contributing to greenhouse gases and, and like, you know, that are purchased without regard for human rights. Like, I care about migrant farm laborers. I care about slaughterhouse workers who are often inmates or... Um, immigrants who suffer from PTSD in the aftermath, like that's not, that's not sustainable behavior. And I don't want to contribute to that. 
So yeah, it started with animals and <laughs> it ended at humans and it keeps coming full circle for me. Right, right, right. So do you think that veganism is good at communicating with other social justice? Movements? Oh no, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Like I think that people want to strike really easy parallels between the Holocaust and slavery and native genocide and be like, oh, it's like what we do to the animals. And it's like, I'm not going to deny that there are definitely parallels in violence. Like we, you know, we treat people as badly as we treat animals and neither of those are okay. Um, we treat people, I mean, terribly. So I, I really wish there was more communication and dialogue and an understanding that, you know, you can't just like waltz into a conversation about politics and be like, well, you know, we're treating pigs this way too. It's just like, that's not, that doesn't help. And like, I mean, I said before I've stopped evangelizing on veganism. Like I don't go everywhere, like shoving flyers into people's faces. I just realized that that's not helpful. I try very much to like live my life productively and people tend to be curious and they tend to be convinced or not convinced or whatever it is just by like talking to me. And I think that that really could help the movement as a whole is if we just like threw our weight behind important issues. Like if veganism, if vegans cared, right? If they cared about people, if they cared about animals, if they cared about the environment, as a community, we'd be throwing our weight behind major issues like, you know, anti-xenophobia, anti-racism, feminist issues like that. We should be showing up to marches. If you want to show up with your science and be like vegans for black lives, fine, just show up. Like, it's just, I think we could do a lot more good just by showing up in numbers for other causes that align with our politics because they all should align with our politics. I don't see how veganism is incompatible. It, it's complementary to like all my other isms. So like, I just, I wish that we did that more as a community than, you know, <laughs> filling up Chrissy Teigen's mention <laughs> and like screaming about how she likes bacon or some whatever happened on Twitter the other day. Right. Yeah, no, that was a recent thing. Also, the guy who runs the vegan account, like he has at vegan on Twitter, he recently compared um, the separation of families uh, to oh. what we do to animals. Yeah. Lovely. Because <laughs> that helps who exactly? That helps like, not the animals. It doesn't help Why the would people. you co-opt a conversation like that? Like, how does that help anybody? If people are upset about one issue, it doesn't make sense to just be like, well, we do it here too. It's like, that's stupid. That makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. That's so irritating. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have, like, a lot of veganism tends to be kind of consumer and consumption, like, mm -hmm. based. Um do you try and is your does that kind of get in the way sometimes? Do you think of, of the you, spread? Do you mean like buy this, don't buy this? That exactly. kind of stuff. Exactly, or like you know buy you know that you're doing something good for the world by buying ice cream just because it's vegan. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not here for like corporate outreach, whatever that's called, yeah. where they try to make themselves look really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm very much like a homesteader in a lot of ways I make a lot of stuff from scratch because uh that's like the easiest way in my mind to like mm -hmm. kind of bridge that gap I'm also like not a capitalist I try not to like spend my money like I know I vote with my dollars I try to be really conservative about that um but yeah I'm I'm not really here for that if anything it's like my veganism has really pushed me to be a lot more like conscious of my ecological decisions like I don't actually buy clothes like from fast fashion companies anymore like I buy almost everything secondhand or like from ethical companies um or from like you know home like people who design at home and like you know I can track where their products are made like it's just if anything it's taught me to be like a lot more aware of how I consume right. not really like 
willing to go out there and just spend money because it's like a vegan product or because it's like non-GMO or whatever it is. Like vegan products tend to still have palm oil in them. You know, like they're not through and through as ethical as they should be. Mm -hmm. So that's not really going to cut it for me often. Absolutely. Um, So a lot of your work is about culture and I don't know if food ever really comes into it for you. Do you ever feel that your work intersects with your veganism or? Um, So like on Kajal we do focus on, we have like some food articles and they tend to be a lot about like reclaiming space. Um, Like, you know, using ancestral recipes or like going back to the source in terms of like finding, um, you know, like ingredients that are actually from the source, not just like bought in supermarkets or paid for on Amazon or whatever it is. So like, there's like definitely a consciousness around like uh, not ceding territory to white supremacy and, and very much like claiming the space back. Um, in terms of like intersecting my veganism, often, and I kind of hate to say this, but I often keep my veganism out of the conversation. I find that people tend to dismiss me pretty early if I include it. And I think it's because they think it's a white thing or it's a white performative thing. And it really isn't for me. So, um, I try to keep food out of it. And I often let people like take the reins when it comes to food conversations on the site, mostly because like I... I'm really aware how often like vegan vegans can jump into a conversation and monopolize it. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're working on a novel though. Does food appear in your novel? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm working on, Oh no. I don't want to talk about my novel. <laughs> okay. Okay. I feel like of course like that's dangerous. That's like dangerous territory. I know. I know. Inviting Nazar. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of talked about this, but how political of an act is cooking for you? Um, if it's, you know, at home and, and you're trying to reclaim space and, and, and be less capitalist, like what is, what does it both look like for you cooking at home and how does it relate to your politics? Yeah. So cooking at home is, is particularly interesting right now because I recently moved in with my boyfriend. And so he, I hope he, I hope he forgives me for like outing him like this, but he doesn't really have very much experience in the kitchen. Um, at the beginning of our relationship, I had to kind of teach him how to cut an onion. He's like much better now, <laughs> but so like food and like we're, we're cooking at home is really interesting for us because it, it's often like, um, it speaks a lot to our relationship at the moment in terms of like, who's going to cook tonight. And it, it's like almost like a gender role play that keeps happening rather than like, you know, like political in any other regard. It's more like, okay, who's doing like the labor of cooking tonight and who's going to do the labor of making sure we have the groceries we need and like, who's going to be aware of what inventory we have and stuff like that. So that's been really like the kind of uh, tiny little battle that's been like waging out in our war um, in, in our kitchen. But besides that, like I really have recently learned that I enjoy entertaining people, yeah. which is something I never had the space to do before. I've always had very like crotchety roommates and not enough room or very flaky friends. And so for the first time, I've, like, actually been able to, like, invite people over and cook for them. Like, we recently made, like, pizza for scratch, from scratch for a couple of friends of ours. And it was all vegan pizza. And we didn't even need to, like, advertise that. It was just so good. So, like, that was really nice. And, like, so it was vegan pizza and vegan cookies. And people were just, like, having a good time. And that was extremely nice because it was also, like, an all-South Asian group of people. And we were talking about a lot of really heavy things. And it was kind of amazing to talk about that over food that, you know, Kieran and I had made um, with our own hands. And I don't know, maybe, like, I know people have discovered this, like, over and over again for, like, hundreds of years. But there's something so special about that. And I, I keep trying to do that. Like, even outside of my kitchen, like, food is obviously, like, a place where people connect. And, like, 
kajal like the writers of kajal we try to meet up at least once a month and we usually go to like an ethnic restaurant like the next one up is buna um and where we just like sit around and we eat and we talk and it's been really lovely to like bring that into my home for the first time um but yeah i i guess like it's almost like it in some ways it's a depoliticized space for me but obviously that makes it more political to like take politics out of it somehow so it's nice. It feels very neutral. Um, I wish we had more counter space, though. I feel like that's, like, the most political par- part of the whole <laughs> kitchen is, like, like fighting over the counter space. <laughs> so where are you – where do you go shopping? Do you go to the farmer's market? Are you – I wish. The farmer's market's, like uh, – it's kind of tricky to, like, track some down sometimes and also to, like, be – awake that early in the morning I just go to key foods on the corner <laughs> like it's, it's not I mean it's like my neighborhood grocery right, store right, right. um sometimes we'll make like pilgrimages out to like Trader Joe's to like get you know um nutritional yeast and stuff like that or like if I am feeling fancy but for the most part like I make a lot of rice and dal at home so I don't really need to go very far for that and uh, we make a lot of tacos and pizza and things like that so it's pretty easy but um Oh, also Indian grocery stores. I go to a lot of those, like, uh, you know, Patel Brothers up in Queens and like uh, Khalistan's in Curry Hill um, are pretty much like my go-tos if I need like to restock on spices and stuff. Right. What are your favorite spices? Oh, okay. So I, I, it's bad because I kind of like learned how to cook Indian food sort of before I learned how to cook other food in some ways or like that's what I got confident doing. So I end up adding turmeric, cumin and like cayenne pepper to like everything which is like makes everything taste like a curry um which is not not ideal but it does make everything taste a little bit better but so probably i like i like turmeric a lot i add it to a lot of things um for color for taste i really like that chalky taste for some reason um it's it's actually really bad now because my friends like make fun of me at the at this point like anything has turmeric in it they'll like they'll buy it for me or they'll like they'll point me towards it i'm like guys like i can eat other spices it's okay (laughs) like um, I've never really come around to like turmeric lattes though. That's the only thing. I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I never grew up with like Haldi Dude, which is like the first iteration, the original iteration of turmeric lattes, which is just like milk with turmeric in it. Um, I never really had that growing up. So I didn't have this like, you know, major like heart rending connection to this like appropriative food. But like, um, yeah, turmeric lattes, I think in the wrong hands are disastrous and I've had them from the wrong hands too many times. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Um, I mean, you add white people to like things that are not theirs, right? Like yeah. white people can't do chai. Like I re- <laughs> you go anywhere and you want a chai latte. They put like, they dunk like one of those like Trader Joe's cartons into it. And I was talking to this, uh, Brown guy a little while ago and he was like, what do you think like the spicing is in this? And he's like, Oh, it's all spice. White people are putting all spice in their tea and calling it chai. But that's not what chai is. Right. Like, allspice is disgusting. I don't know why it even exists. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably what it is. Do you think there's a lot more appropriation of, of like, Indian spices and flavors in vegan food, especially because it's moved into this wellness space, which is, I think, where yeah. we get turmeric lattes from? Yeah, probably, definitely. I mean, I think sometimes I, like, I'm a little bit annoyed at, like, white vegan ease with turmeric how they kind of add it to everything and how it's like added for color very often like you almost like can't have like a vegan like a tofu scramble without it having turmeric and cumin in it um and sometimes that frustrates me but like I don't know at this point I'm kind of just like I'm just glad people are spicing their food (laughs) 
And then black salt too. Do you have black yeah, salt? Yeah, kala namak. Yeah. Um, that is very often misused, I've realized, because it has a very strong taste. So it's... Mm, I'm not very good at using it because I'm aware of that and I'm almost like willing to like forego it just to like be able to enjoy my food. But it's interesting to see it pop up on like vegan venues for sure. Um, What do you think veganism needs to do to become a more friendly space to everyone? It needs better PR for sure. Like I, I appreciate the fact that we've like panned PETA for a long time now. I, like, I'm glad that, like, as a community, we have, like, risen up and been like, this is trash. Uh, it took us a long time, though. I, I want more, like, grassroots vegan stuff to happen. I want more of us to get involved in the community or different communities that we live in. Like, I want more education programs. I want more of us to, like, get our hands dirty when it comes to, like, our community nutrition. Like, especially in Brooklyn, like, we live, there's so many food deserts here. Like, I would love to see an army of vegans go into these food deserts and, like, hand out, you know, fresh food, like fruit and vegetables and like, you know, pass along like information about like how to cook healthy food with it. Like it doesn't have to have a specifically vegan tilt. Like, you know, you go to like restaurants or like stores that are like, that are vegan, but they don't advertise themselves as that. And they're just good food. And like you can see them bringing people together and changing people's minds. And I think that like, in some ways we can take a lot of cues from that. We can just run with it and we don't have to keep like inserting ourselves. It doesn't have to be like an egotistical project. I think that in some ways when vegans remove cultural discussions from what we're talking about, it becomes an egotistical thing. It becomes, no, I'm right and you're wrong rather than let me see where you're coming from. And as a person who like still like I'm like five years on and like I've been a vegan for five years, I will still cheat on things. Like I go to Indian weddings for my cousins and I'll have gulab jamun. Like there needs to be nuance in our conversations when it comes to culture, when it comes to people's socioeconomic backgrounds, when it comes to like lack of information and knowledge. And I want us to be more involved on those fronts. And that's how we be more inclusive is just by like, you know, directing our kindness outwards to not just like inwards to ourselves. Um, I don't think that's a hard thing to do at all. No. Thank you, Nadia. Thanks. <laughs>